So this morning's reading is taken from Hebrews chapter 11. We'll be starting at verse 23. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born, because they saw he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be ill-treated along with the people of God, rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched round them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. This is God's word. If you are joining us again, we're in the middle of uh, chapter 11, spending a month here in this uh, fantastic uh, chapter In the middle of uh, the sermon to the Hebrews, let me lead us in prayer. Father, it's easy to uh, read of these accounts of your saints of old, the Old Testament believers, uh, and think that they were exceptional. But, uh, Father, help us see very clearly that they were very ordinary people, that by faith in the extraordinary God were able to live differently. Would your word uh, help us to be those who shape our lives by faith in your promises? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, a couple of months ago, for my wife's birthday, we as a family, we went to the theatre. We went and saw School of Rock, which I have to tell you was terrific. It was hugely enjoyable. If you even vaguely enjoyed uh, the film with Jack Black a number of years ago, uh, this was even better, I would suggest. Um, it was pretty impressive, the kids, you know, all nine, ten years old, performing live on stage to an audience of thousands uh, without missing a note. Uh, all that side of things was great. The central song in uh, the musical, uh, the uh, Lloyd Webber, apparently back to his best, I, I make no comment, but um, the central song is Stick It to the Man. Uh, which probably works better in, at the States than the UK. I think that's more of an American sort of phrase, stick it to the man. But um, uh, you get this, all these, so of course the central thesis, the central plot line is uh, this highly eccentric, unqualified teacher goes in to teach these very posh kids in a prohibitively expensive New England school. Uh, and they're all very prim and proper. And he teaches them to stick it to the man or woman in this case, as a headmistress. Uh, but that is, you've got to fight back against uh, oppression. Just don't, don't let the man push it down or push down on you. Don't let the man tell you how to live. You've got to fight back. You've got to you know, rise up against him, either passively or, or aggressively. You've got, you've got to stick it to the man. Don't be cowed by them. And uh, there's a sense in which, tangentially, I'd have to admit, that's Moses in Hebrews chapter 11. 
in chapter 11, it's uh, the summary of Moses really is that he sticks it to the man or Pharaoh uh, in this particular case. He won't be domesticated. He won't play by Pharaoh's rules. He resists. He won't be domesticated by Pharaoh. Uh, By faith in the living God, he can stick it to the man, Pharaoh, in this case. As I said, we're, we're in this chapter for a month. And if you've been here, we've been summarizing uh, the message of Hebrews chapter 11 like this. Faith is an active trust in certain promises, excuse me, in a certain promise about an unseen future. Active trust, that is your life is transformed by a certain promise of God about an unseen future. That is Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, Beginning and end, that's kind of how it begins. It's the framework to it. In other words, by faith, you really can live differently. If you knew that on the 1st of July, no matter what your age, you were going to retire with uh, plenty of money and resources for for your retirement, if you knew that was coming on the 1st of July, for the next couple of weeks, you could endure the most obnoxious of colleagues with serenity. And it wouldn't trouble you that much. Even though they were deeply unreasonable and unpleasant, you could inwardly smile and think, my friends, I am out of here. And you losers can stay behind. You probably wouldn't be quite so blunt about it, but you, know, you could sail through with a serenity if you knew that was coming. Now, if you have faith in the promise of something wonderful to come, it will affect how you live here and now. Now, let me just pause and go off on a tangent because it's somewhat contemporary. If you uh, watch the news, observe the news, uh, the three terrorists last week had a very strong faith. By all accounts, the, the police have now found their, um, uh, uh, the, 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 the flat they were using to, to prepare. The Quran was open on pages on martyrdom and how they looked forward to paradise. So, of course, you have to say, in a sense... Awkward, awkward backgrounds, distorted, unpleasant individuals though they may have been, their faith drove their actions. So it matters enormously what the object of your faith is. So for those three who carried out the terror attack, they had faith that Allah would reward them if they killed people. Can I just point out the obvious? That is a world of difference from Jesus Christ. The Christian says, I I know that I can't earn God's reward personally. Jesus has given it to me. And then says, go and serve people. There is a world of difference. I need to earn Allah's reward. uh, And therefore I will kill people to earn his reward. That is... The polar opposite of, I am given the reward of God in Jesus Christ. Jesus has won it for me, gives it to me, and says, now I've given that to you, go and serve other people. Faith is neither here nor there. It's your object. It's Jesus Christ. You'll say, I can't earn heaven, it's given to me. But now I want to serve others. If it is in, however I want to phrase it, extreme, religious extremism, a distorted picture of Islam, however you choose to phrase it, that says, 
you need to earn paradise and you do so by martyrdom, taking others with you, infidels. Those are two polar opposites. Please do not say faith does bad things. It is the object of your faith that matters so very, very, very much. Hebrews 11, here are people who had faith in a promise, the certain promise of God, of life in the promised land. If they lived for him, they looked a lot like being faithful to him, serving others. Let's get into some of the detail. Last week then we looked at Abraham. Uh, And uh, we were there with uh, Abraham in verses uh, 8 down to 20, or 22 rather. And uh, in that section, seven times you get the the little um, introduction, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. Seven times. Four of them are applied to Abraham himself, three others to his descendants. Uh, Here again, with Moses, seven times you get the introduction, by faith, seven times. Four of them are applied to Moses, three to others, his descendants. There's a clear little parallel going on here. By faith, last time, Abraham dealt with uncertainty. That was his sort of big issue, constant uncertainty in life. But he had faith in the promises of God. Here, Moses has faith, or by faith, he deals with conflict. That's the issue for him. These are all examples of how he lives by faith when confronted with conflict, when there's opposition. Now, this is, in many ways, the big theme of the whole letter, sermon to the Hebrews. It's written in chapter 10. It's revealed to a group of people who were facing opposition. They, they had known imprisonment, some of them in the past, but seem to be, have been released now. But they're fearing it happening again. So their big fear is shame. They don't want to be mocked, ridiculed, face shame, because they think that may lead to worse. And so in that sense, it's a very contemporary letter for us. Because in the UK, imprisonment is highly unlikely uh, for for your belief as a Christian, of course. But shame, mockery, ridicule, well, those are all highly, highly possible and contemporary. Shame. And so therefore they were tempted to drift back to old Hebrew religion because no one criticised you in the first century for that. That was all very acceptable. The newfangled Christian thing, well, that's a bit weird. We didn't like that. And so in one sense, that is no different today. In the UK today, no one will really criticise you for being a vague, gentle member of the Church of England. If you have a sort of woolly, drifty sort of faith and you say you're you're an Anglican, I'm a Christian, but don't worry, I'm a woolly Anglican. Oh, that's all right. The Church of England is a pretty domesticated state church. No one will criticize you if you're that sort of Christian. But if you're a zealous believer, if you want to speak of Jesus Christ, I expect hostility. If your faith is private, the world is happy. If your faith is active, the world will oppose you as a Christian. You just got to be ready for that. It's one of the choices we face. Let's look at Moses then. By faith, three things. By faith, Moses didn't fear the king. By faith, Moses accepted shame with God's people. And then by faith, they, because it's a broader gang, trusted in God's awesome salvation. First then, by faith, Moses didn't fear the king. And really I've gone for the verses 23 and 27, the sort of the, the, the bookends. 
to this little paragraph uh, dominated by Moses. So by faith, verse 23, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. And verse 27, Moses, by faith, he left Egypt not fearing the king's anger. So that's the sort of frame to the whole paragraph. Not afraid. So yeah, okay, it starts off with Moses' parents. And um, well, in some senses, they're like every parent uh, that the world has ever seen. They saw he was no ordinary child. Have you seen my baby? He's no ordinary child. Uh, have you seen my son? She, well, she's crawling before any other one else in her NCT group. She's quite something, you know. What is it about Moses in particular? I don't know. We're not told. They know something. We're not told. What's much clearer is Moses himself. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. Hmm. I think it's a reference to him taking the whole of Israelites, because of what verses 28 to 29, 30 go on to say. Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt. You know, your book of Exodus. Despite knowing that Pharaoh was furious. So it's an odd scene you read of in Exodus chapter 12. Whatever they are, roughly 20,000 Israelites, men, women, children, who have been slaves and run the whole, driven the economy of Egypt, they just walk out. You can imagine the scene where these bedraggled slaves, not owning very much, they sort of shuffle out, looking on very nervously as Pharaoh's army is lined up, glowering at them. Moses, are we doing the right thing? God has said we can leave. Moses, they look pretty angry with us. God said we can leave. He'll protect us. Moses, are we taking any weapons on the road? No, we have the Lord. They've got quite sharp spears, Moses, and chariots and horses, God has said. Every reason to be afraid in that sort of setup. Pharaoh, very impressive. Of course, if you wandered around Egypt, I don't know if we got it. I've, here's Ramesses II for, for, for no good reason, apart from it's a picture. Uh, but, you know, that's a statue that's about 20 foot tall, still at Luxor, one of very few remaining. There's Ramesses. He's everywhere. His statue is everywhere, if you're Moses at the time. Are oh, very natural to fear that man and his armies. Not afraid. How was Moses able to do that? Well, we're told, by faith, verse 27, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. It's possibly an over-translation. It is literally, as if he saw him who is invisible. But it means the same thing. Why was Moses not fearful or not paralyzed by fear? Because he didn't look at Pharaoh And he did look at the Lord. Who do you choose to look at? If you look at Pharaoh and his military and his resources and his statue everywhere, you look at Pharaoh and think, he rules the world. I must do what he says. But if you look at the Lord... I don't have to look at Pharaoh. I don't have to fear Pharaoh. It's a real choice. Who do you choose to look at? 
So I don't know about you. It may be that um, you're wondering about the Christian faith. You'll find Jesus Christ attractive and all he offers. But you do fear what others will say if you become a Christian. You fear the shame. Well, you just need to look up. That's quite simple. And know that the Lord God rules this world and you're far better off with him than with anyone who scares you here and now. And for those of us who are Christians, it's quite easy, I think, to fear the man, to fear him, the woman, whoever it may be, the headmistress, whatever. You may fear what happens if you speak openly of Christ in your office, if you suggest that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, if you suggest that actually, well, now you've pushed me into a corner. No, I don't think that all religions are equal. I I think that that's a lie and and that, that Jesus Christ is true. You might fear that. What will happen if I say that? As the UK moved, moves more towards a secular regime, occasionally it feels like a sort of secular aggressive regime. The government is attempting to determine British values. And if you can't subscribe to British values as defined by the government of the day, well, it may become more awkward to work in the public sector or a state school. Some are finding that. It's not hard to fear the man. I read an article recently about Christians working in banks in the city. Uh, It was saying how very few of them are willing to be known as Christians. So uh, the journalist, who was sort of not aggressive, he was sort of sympathetic, I think, in how he wrote, the journalist asked a 29-year-old Christian, do your colleagues in the office know that you are a Christian believer? Response, are you joking? Of course not. It would make things massively difficult for me. The city isn't immoral, it's completely amoral. If my boss thought I was relying on prayer to get me through the day, he'd look down on me. It would make me seem irrational or weak. So when I leave work to go to church in the evening, I always tell everyone I'm going to physio. Well, that's looking at the man, that's fearing the man. Maybe a, a, a click further along. Certainly at our elders' meeting this week, uh, one of the guys said, look, let's be honest, let, we need to challenge one another. How willing are we to run a public meeting as a Christian? Say, hey, everyone, hey, let's put a poster up, the internet. Here's a meeting. And um, we're going to explain something about the Christian faith. Are we willing to do that? Or do we fear the man? You've got to look up. You have to look up and trust God to avoid fearing the man. By contrast, I read a a little while ago of uh, northern Nigeria, an entire youth choir had been hacked to death in their church and their bodies were burned with machetes. That's an extraordinary act of wickedness. The local bishop, Bishop Achigili, told his congregation... They must not resort to retaliation. Good. The bishop said, quote, If they kill us and we die, we win. If we live and can tell others of Jesus, we win. We always win in the end. If we die, we win. If we live, we win. Because he's looking up as if he could see the one who's invisible 
but says, yeah, I trust him, so I don't fear what may happen here and now. Moses didn't fear the king. Let's look at what happens in between those two bookends then. Uh, Secondly, Moses accepted shame with God's people. Verses uh, 24 to 26. He accepted shame with God's people. Uh, By faith, Moses turns down three things. I don't know if you noticed when it was read. So verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Do your family tree, Pharaoh's daughter. I'm not going to be known as her son. Therefore, Moses is saying, I don't want to be known as Pharaoh's grandson. That is turning down enormous privilege. In that sort of, I mean, even, if, even in, in our enfeebled monarchy, if you're known as the, uh, the, the queen's grandson, that gives you access, that gives you privilege, gives you a lot of press coverage, you might not like that. But uh, you could probably walk into any, anywhere and ask for a, a table at any restaurant if you're William or Harry and say, you know who I am, get me in, and they probably will. You know, to, to be known as the king's grandson, well, that's a lot of privilege, I don't know if you've ever seen the cartoon, Prince of Egypt. It's not bad, biblically. It's not bad. It's pretty good. But you get some sense of it in there, because in the beginning of the film, he's enjoying the privileges and sort of terrorizing the neighborhood. He and his sort of stepbrother, they're boy racers, tearing up the town in chariots. Uh, but, uh, you, know, of course, you know, there's a lot of privilege, clearly. If I put it in these terms, it's a bit like the Bullingdon Club of their day, with apologies to those here who are members of it. I'm not sure if there was anyone was. But anyway, a bit like the Bullingdon Club of their day, you know, the super wealthy Oxford students, grand banquets, boisterous behaviour, David Cameron and the others, trashing restaurants. They knew, know that they're privileged. Privileged education, affluent, connections to those in power and influence. And so they can get away with behaviour that others couldn't because of who they were. And Moses said, yeah, I don't want any of that. Turns down all of the privilege. Uh, Verse 25, what else? He chose to be ill-treated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Or just sensory pleasures would be fine. He didn't choose to enjoy the pleasures of eating, drinking, sex. Nothing wrong with them in themselves, in their context, but he didn't get obsessed with them. And again, if you're the king's grandson, presumably you could have whoever you want, eat whatever you want. And then the third thing he turned down, verse 26, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ of greater value than the treasures of Egypt, wealth, money, possessions. So this is quite a list, actually, Moses turns down he turns down extraordinary privilege of connection, all sorts of sensory pleasures that he could indulge in, and fabulous wealth. He turns them all down. And uh, do you see what he trades them for instead? So verse 25, what does he actually choose to have instead? Verse 25, he chose to be ill-treated along with the people of God. Oh. Yeah, I'll be known as a slave and get whipped like a slave. Oh. And verse 26, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ. Oh, he chose that. Not that he knew Jesus, but Moses knew he was doing it for the Lord. Now, on a human level, that is a very bizarre choice. Would you like to be beaten as a slave or to have extraordinary privileged access to anything you want, fabulous wealth, uh, enormous connections? Which would you choose? 
Now, if, that, if the choice is that binary, you, you, you choose the good stuff. Why would you not? Well, we've already said Moses turns them down because he's looking up and sees the Lord. Uh, but here also we're told, verse 26, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because, here's why, he was looking ahead to his reward. He's just looking forward to what came next. Now, all of us, uh, with any sense of maturity, uh, 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 are aware of the concept. We get cognitively the idea of delayed gratification. And some of us make those choices on a regular basis. We choose the sweaty disgrace of looking like a shambles in the gym over a big fat three-course lunch for the goal of losing some pounds. That's you know we make those sort of decisions every January. Um, uh, and that's how it works. You know, we, we, we get the idea of delayed gratification. For Moses, the treasures of Egypt were fleeting, but the reward in heaven was eternal. So he gave up what he couldn't keep to gain what he couldn't lose, and we find that hard because it's easy to get fixated on here and now. Now, in our heads, it's straightforward, isn't it? Here we go. Uh, here's again, this is a thought experiment, not a true offer. Uh, but let's work in these terms, binary terms. Here's your choice. Okay? You can have a ticket on BA, United. Anyway, you can have a flight ticket today to anywhere in the world, a single economy ticket. You can have that today. Or... Uh, on one month's time on Sunday, I will give you two round-the-world first-class tickets, which consist of six trunk flights and as many internal flights as you desire within a region, and first, uh, first five-star hotels to go with them. Okay, that's your choice. One single ticket today, two first-class with all bells and whistles in one month's time. Which would you choose? Now, everyone's going to go to the latter, unless you're being a bit odd, and you need to get somewhere tonight uh, in a hurry, and you're skint, you might, but, but everyone's going to go for the latter. Of course, of course. Now, children find that choice a bit harder. Yeah, if you say to a two-year-old, two-year-old, do you want three sweeties now, or massive jar of sweeties after lunch? Three sweeties now. That's going to be the choice. Or they'll probably say, big jar now. You have to explain it about several times, several times. Or you don't even show them the big jar. So you just have to think about it. But if you put in front of them, three sweets now, or massive jar, where's it? Oh, I have not shown to you. A massive jar after lunch. What if what's the two-year-old going to do? Sweeties now. Sweeties now. Sweeties now. And of course, you look at that and think, Fools. But they are too. And the Lord says to us, do you want fleeting pleasures now or eternity in paradise and reward for how you've lived? And many of us, much of the time, say fleeting pleasures now. Fleeting pleasures. We want fleeting pleasures now. Fleeting pleasures now. And no doubt the Lord looks down upon his people and thinks, what are you doing? Do you not see how bizarre that choice is? 
to choose fleeting pleasures which don't last. Eternal pleasures, much higher, much richer, go on forever. Now, want it now, want my stuff now. But I live that way at times. Do you? Moses looked ahead to his reward. He saw him who was invisible. You look forward to the reward and you look up to the one who promises. Where you choose to look will determine how you live. Very, very briefly, uh, they trusted in God's awesome salvation. Here, a whole gang together, verses 28 to 31. Verse 28, we're still with Moses primarily. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. Do you know this story? Uh, There we are in, um, uh, in Exodus chapter 12. Every Israelite family takes a lamb into the house to live with them and then is killed as a sacrifice in their place and, and the blood from the lamb is painted over the doorposts uh, and, and God, the angel of death passes over those houses. Meanwhile, the Egyptians, they lose their children. In the book of Hebrews, enormous emphasis is placed upon the blood of Jesus. We'll come back to that. But there's them. Uh, verse 29, by faith the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. When the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. Can you imagine? Right, everyone, we're just going to walk through the English Channel. We'll walk through it. Yeah, look, you know, you'd be pretty terrified in that scenario, but you do so. By faith, verse 30, the walls of, walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched round them for seven days. Well, the Israelites did have swords now. Can you imagine grown men who had fought battles? By the time they get to Jericho, they've fought battles, the Israelites, and won. Grown, can you imagine saying to, I don't know, the British army, okay, here's our strategy for capturing whatever the city of, we're not there, but say the city of Raqqa. Here's how we're going to go in and capture this city. We're going to march, we're going to put these three bagpipers, they're going to play the same old tune that they play on Westminster Bridge, they only know one tune. They're going to play that tune round and round and round for seven days. You're going to march for seven days, and then the walls will fall down. Really? Really? Yes? I guess the point of all these stories, blood on doorposts, walking through the sea, blowing horns to defeat an army, those are not the obvious ways you defeat your enemies. If, you're, if you had to command an army into battle, painting the door, what are we going to do to defeat them? We're going to paint the door frame. We're going to pick up a new instrument. We're going to walk through water those are not the obvious strategies that they teach you at military academy. You'd only do so if you trust the promise of God in the face of enemies, in the face of hostility. If you're going to stick it to the man, you've got to look up at the one who promises. You've got to look forward to the reward. And you've got to not look at the one who intimidates you. So for the Christians, we look up and we trust in the awesome salvation that Jesus provides. Why don't you just flick back two pages, page 1207, Hebrews chapter 9. Oh yes, in Passover days they painted the blood of a lamb. But there's a sense in which all the sacrifices of the Old Testament, 
the believers are saying, Lord, we trust you to deal with our sin, but what we're doing now, the sacrifices of animals, they're just a moral credit card. They just push the debt into the future. They allow us, they allow us to live now, but someone's got to pay this debt. Well, that's Jesus Christ. Chapter 9, verse 11. When, Jesus, when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle. That is, he went into heaven. Verse 12. He didn't enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place of heaven, once for all by his own blood, so obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bush bulls and ashes of heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean. Sanctify them so that they're outwardly clean. They're just a moral credit card. You get that sense? They just push the debt into the future. But Christ is the one who pays it. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so we may serve the living God? You have to trust in God's awesome salvation in Jesus Christ. If you get that clear, it helps you to trust all of, other, all of the rest of God's promises. It means you do look into the future. But the faith of Hebrews 11 is active trust in a certain promise of an unseen future. But you do have to choose where you look. By Faith, Moses looked up at his invisible God. He looked forward to his reward and he did not look at Pharaoh. And so he didn't fear the man. Now in the 21st century, that's a message we need to know. You've got to look up. You've got to look forward. Don't look at the one who scares you. The faith to live differently comes from choosing where you look. And the Christian looks at Jesus Christ sat down at God's right hand. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that we have good reason to trust you. You are the one whose promises never fail. You're the one who has answered every doubt by saying yes to all your promises in Jesus Christ. So Father, would we look up and see him sat down at your right hand, giving us absolute confidence because he's won heaven for us. We look forward to the reward of paradise. And don't get obsessed with the here and now. Don't fear people in the here and now because we see you. Right in Jesus' name. Amen.